Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more coming your way. How does the Bills' secondary pivot after the season-ending injury to Tredavious White? We run through the scenarios and options. Is the offense capable of sustaining their recent run of success? And if yes, why? And we get you ready for Bills Jags in London. They even serve coffee over there? on Bills by the Numbers, Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills insider Chris Brown with you, and we come out of the starting blocks with a very disappointing development. In Buffalo secondary, Tredavious White lost for the rest of the season after he ruptured his Achilles against the Dolphins in Week 4. You feel horrible for the player, no matter who it is, but knowing that Trey put in the time and effort to come back from a season-ending ACL injury toward the end of the 2021 season was just starting to round back into form at the start of this season. T- kind of tough to see that happen. Man. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, and for most of us, it's just, ah, well, it's a it's a detriment to our team. You know, we're missing a great player. That for, for Tredavious, and I've been there, it's, it's just like it just drops you at the bottom of a long, hard, mountainous climb that you've got to make uh, to get back to where he was, you know, four days ago. And it's just... Yeah, it's just a it it's part of the game, no question about it. It's it's not the best part of the game by any stretch of the imagination, um, and it's difficult to see because it's a lot like life. Good things, I mean, bad things happen to good people. Yeah, um, it's it it's part of the it's part of the game. Um, these guys, and you can say these guys know what they sign up for, but. To have an injury like that happen again, again, even like his ACL two years ago was non-contact, kind of just running around out there. Um, yeah, it's just tragic. It's it's heartbreaking, and um, you know it's um, it's going to be a long road back for him, and and hopefully he'll he'll decide he wants to make that trip. Yeah, as cruel as that injury might be, the team has to carry on, and we got a peak. At the remainder of that week four game against Miami as to what the secondary would look like the rest of the way. Dane Jackson came on to replace Tredavious. Christian Benford returned from a shoulder injury earlier in the game to finish it. First, Steve, have you been encouraged by what you've seen from Christian Benford thus far this season as a starter? Yeah, yeah very much so. He's a physical player. He's he's headsy. Um, he's you know, his athleticism I mean, he's drafted in the sixth round for a little bit of a reason, but he's got good size and he's very he's physical. He does bring something to the table. Uh, he is uh, has got the right mentality of being a grinder. Bad play doesn't affect the next play, and a good play doesn't affect the next play. He is on it every play and attacks it the way he always does. So he's a very consistent player. I've liked that what I've seen about him. He's and he's in the right spot. He knows what he's supposed to do. He has spent a lot of time, you can tell, in the playbook, knowing exactly, and he's getting more and more nuanced, particularly with the help of two safeties. Now with Poyer and Hyde back there who have had a year of conversations with him. And with those two guys out there, he seems to be growing. And that's that's kind of a positive thing. Even for a young player like Benford, he was good enough to get out there in week one last year as a rookie on a sixth-round draft pick. Yeah, And he has grown. And that's kind of gratifying to see, I what's, think. What sticks out for me, and 
sometimes it's hard to recognize this in players because it's not readily seen by the naked eye. But his mental toughness seems readily apparent to me. And I guess you kind of have to be when you're an FCS player in college and you're trying to make it at the NFL level. But there isn't much that gets him bent out of shape. There is no panic to his game whatsoever. He doesn't think for a second that he doesn't belong here. There is just this resolute, quiet confidence that he carries himself with, and and you can almost feel it when you watch him play. That's what has impressed me the most about him. Dane Jackson made an impact as soon as he entered the game. Had a big tackle for loss, Mm -hmm. pass breakup on the two-point conversion, but series in, series out, week in, week out. How do you see him faring going forward? Dane Jackson did make some plays in the game against the Miami Dolphins, and mostly because he got the opportunity. When he came in, he was targeted right away by Tua, by Mike McDaniel. The Dolphins which you would expect. Him, which is what you would expect. Uh, he, they got him on a couple of plays, no question, but he also made some plays as well. So you can expect that to continue. You're going to see Dane Jackson a lot, good and bad, because they are going to target him uh, as the what would normally be like the fourth corner on the squad behind Taron, Tredavious, and Benford. Uh, so they're going to go after him, and you're going to see him a lot. Uh, he's a smaller guy. He plays aggressively, but he's a he's a smaller corner. Slider framed. Slider framed. And he's going to have to prove to some teams and some opponents of the Bills that he can hold up because he, the, for the good plays that he made, the reason he made them is they were coming after him. Right. I, I think his aggressive style of play is what's attractive to Coach McDermott. He doesn't back down from anything. I mean, there could be a 250-pound fullback coming at him. He's he's lowering his pads and saying, let's go in right. the hole. Um, that's the kind of player that Dane Jackson is. Mm-hmm. And I think from a very early from very early on, even as a rookie back in 2020, he just seemed to have a nose for the ball, or maybe the ball finds him, and maybe it is due in part to what you said, the fact that, hey – you're subbing in now, you're going to get tested even more because they're like, well, this guy isn't a starter. Let's see if he's not as good as the starters. So that's probably going to continue this week against Jacksonville and in subsequent weeks. But, again, this is a guy that is a hard-nosed player that I think is up to the challenge, so I'm interested to see. And not to mention the fact he's got a fair amount of starts under his own belt over the last two, three seasons. So, it's not like he's a wet behind the ears rookie that's never started in a game before. He's right. got multi, he's got double digit starts in his career, so hopefully that serves him well going forward. Then there's the former first round pick Kyir Elam, inactive each of the first four weeks, but he'll have to be up on game day now. I think there's a general consensus that Elam is the most physically gifted corner on the roster, so there are other reasons why he hasn't been dressed on game day. What do you expect his mindset to be after being inactive the first four games? Steve? I think he'll have a chip on his shoulder, no question. I think he'll have something to prove, and I think he's going to be highly motivated to play his best. I mean, this is a guy that really wants to get on the field, and that mindset is going to carry over. Now, he's going to have to get on. He'll be on special team. He'll be doing something on game day. You don't have a guy come up and be active. I mean, they maximize their roster. So the 47 guys that are on the field or on the roster and get a game shirt, a jersey on game day, they're going to play. But how much corner he plays, that remains to be seen. Uh, Last week we saw how it can happen. Tredavious White goes down. 
Christian Benford went down with a shoulder early in the game, although he came back. All of a sudden, you're down both corners. Yeah, that's a that's a big problem for teams. And so there's nothing that says Kyrie Elam doesn't have to contribute in a big way this week. He's going to be highly motivated. His mindset is he's got a chip on his shoulder with a lot to prove. Yeah, and we've seen him, Steve, putting in the extra work. I mean, yeah. we we have offices right on the end of the field house here, and so just by our daily walking around, going to other offices, meeting with coworkers, you know, on the other side of the building, very often he is in here doing work on his own with a jugs machine and a, you know, and a equipment staff person firing firing balls at him. at him yeah and he's and he's wearing a helmet catching football catch, yeah catching i mean a couple of hundred footballs a day working on footwork mm-hmm. all this stuff he's doing it on his own time outside of the practice setting so i think he knows hey i got to do a little bit extra if i want to be up on game day but now that opportunity is here and we heard coach mcdermott this week basically say hey when you get your opportunity you got to make the most of it well here is the opportunity for Kyer Elam to be up on game day. He certainly represents very good depth at corner, but what do you make of the reserve corners on Buffalo's practice squad, Steve? You've got a tall, long player in Jamarcus Ingram. Kyron mm-hmm. Brown came in in training camp and impressed enough to make the practice squad, and they just added Herb Miller, who has been on a lot of practice squads over the last three or four seasons and has about three or four regular season games under his belt in his career. I think, no, I, I think, I think Kyrie Elam is the guy that's going to get called up, and certainly they've got enough. Well, guys he's on in the, the active roster. Yeah, they've I'm got enough practice squad guys. The practice squad guys. There's reasons they're on the practice squad. One, they show promise, but two, they, the second thing that we we may not be privy to is how much growth they've had since training camp and how hard are they working subsequently down the line. Right. What are their strengths and weaknesses? And I think the coaching staff particularly at this point of the season when you're talking about the practice squad call-ups, whichever one of those guys is called up, if any, to their active roster, it's going to be because they're going to look at that at that week's matchups and say, you know, a guy like Jamarcus Ingram, he would fit against the Jacksonville Jaguars because they can put these guys up and down either yeah, one. Practice right? so squad I think elevations. If right. they think they're – if it's an equal – you know, if it's a level playing field – uh, that will have something to do with it. Plus, it will also be their cont- contributions on special teams, and Matt Smiley will have something to say that al- along with Harkey. Uh, both those guys, the coaching, the special teams coordinator and his assistant will say, listen, we'd rather have, say, Ingram or Miller or whatever. Uh, they'll have an opinion as well will go into the mix. But it will be a specific skill set that gets those guys onto the roster. I think – Ingram is probably your first practice squad elevation if yes. one is deemed necessary. Probably that may be, not be the case this week. Right, probably just because of his experience. Not only experience on the game field, but experience in this defense right. with a lot of the same players that are still lining up back there in the secondary. So I think that affords him probably the best likelihood of being elevated in a given week if, if the Bills coaching staff deems it necessary. Are we one more injury away at the corner position from needing to make an acquisition for your active roster? We just saw a trade this week by the New England Patriots with the L.A. Chargers to get back the corner they lost in free agency in J.C. Jackson because they lost Christian Gonzalez, their first-round pick, for the rest of the season to a torn labrum in his shoulder. 
are one more injury at corner where somebody's out for an extended period of time, does that prompt the Bills to to maybe make a more stringent move than the one we saw they, yesterday with a practice squad ad? They didn't do it last year when they were down Poyer and Hyde. Or Poyer was kind of got Tredavious wasn't back. Tredavious yet. wasn't back. Um, I kind of I kind of doubt it. I think they like the room they've got. But you're right. Another injury to a guy, maybe that could trigger. It. Maybe plus the safety like Poyer and Hyde last year and the issues they had. That they didn't lose corners. They lost safeties and corners last year, mm-hmm. right? So uh, safeties mostly. So. They didn't do that last year when that was going on. So I would say probably not. I think they'll probably sit tight even through one more, you know, if it's a catastrophic injury, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think, think they'll they, sit tight. Yeah. It would, they, I think they'd have to be put in a dire situation to make that kind of move. Let's not forget, they don't have a lot of cap space to work with to begin with. Right. So it, it's kind of a tricky situation there if, in fact, you know, another – setback takes place at the same well position. Tredavious comes off the cap, doesn't he? He's on IR. Well, yeah, if they IR him and then, right, insurance picks up costs and stuff, so yes. Uh, flipping it over to Buffalo's offense, talked about this on our daily show, One Bills Live, wanted to entertain it for a few minutes here. Do you believe the high rate of efficiency they've had on display on offense on this three-game winning streak, is sustainable week after week, Steve? I think it is sustainable, but it's it's easy to say it. It's hard to do it. Yeah, um, You're going to meet a diff- completely different football team this week in London in a different, completely different environment, and the matchups will dictate a different game plan, which will dictate a different thought process, a different level of execution – um, so you're gonna have to prove your you're gonna have to prove your worth and your ability to do it in every situation. That's the difficult part of it. Yeah, you can come in with the same level of commitment, same level of focus, and all that, but it's a different game plan. You're running different plays against different guys. They get some credit too uh, for being able to take you out of this. Their pass rush is going to be completely different from Miami's because they've got a guy named Josh Allen on the edge out there who's leading the league in sacks. That's a problem. It presents different problems. So, yes, the Bills are good enough to do it, uh, but the question is, are the Jaguars a different animal? I say different animal than a dolphin. Yeah, that's – you know what I'm saying. Uh, are the Jaguars – kept gonna, going with it. I liked right. it. Are the, Jag, are the Jaguars a different enough animal than a dolphin to make the Bills get out of their – level of execution and there is the added element which people will talk about going into the game on sunday of jet lag the team doesn't land until friday morning london time there really isn't time to adjust to a five-hour time change in a day and a half so how does that play into their performance are they a little sluggish at the start? You Maybe. know, that kind of thing. What they'll do is they'll get in at London in the early morning, and they'll stay awake all day. They'll stay awake all that day and then go to bed early that night, which will be very early in the day in the States. The States. Yeah. So they'll go to bed at like 5 o'clock Eastern, Buffalo time, yeah, Eastern time, but it'll be 10 o'clock London time, and then they'll get a good eight hours, let them sleep a little bit later the next day on, a, on the Saturday and see, and then they'll be back. They'll be. It'll be easier to to cope. But they'll they'll 
they'll fly through the night, get up in that morning, and they'll stay awake. And hopefully, you know, they don't sleep too much on the plane that they're rested enough to stay up way late London time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's gonna, that's the problem. You stay up till midnight at London time, it's 5 a.m. on the, West Co- the East Coast here, and then you're in all discombobulated. Yeah. I, I have a pretty good feeling they consulted their sports science department oh, yeah. on this in a big way, and the timing of the flight and everything is probably for very, very good reason as far as, you know, the biomechanics of the players are concerned. That Bills offense will face a Jaguars team that's been lying in wait in London. They played there last week. For more on the matchup, we bring in Jaguars analyst Justin Dunk from the Believe in Jaguars podcast. All right, Justin, let's begin here. A couple of players that have been out of the mix for the Jags could be back in the mix. Uh, Cam Robinson being one of them, coming off suspension. And then Dwayne Smoot. Uh, who, much like Von Miller, is beginning practice this week. What do you think the likelihood is that we'll see one or both of those guys in the lineup Sunday? I think there's a pretty good chance we see Robinson. Doug Peterson did say on Wednesday that he wants to see how he does on the field. But in reality, he's been training and preparing for this date, week five, his return from suspension. As for Smoot, I think that's a little bit more of a longer shot, although Peterson did say that he's been cleared and could be ready to go they want to see where he's at from a football standpoint and Jaguars fans know and anybody who's been watching the team knows that they could use that enhanced pass rush and perhaps move some guys around if Smoot is back I think Robinson much more likely and will probably be on the field Smoot we'll have to see how the week plays out give us an idea of the void these guys left by their absence and how the Jaguars have managed without them Major void on the offensive line for Robinson. Walker Little kicked out to left tackle, and Anton Harrison started at right tackle as a raw rookie. First-round pick, yes, lots of talent coming out of the University of Oklahoma, but he's taken his lumps, especially going against Chris Jones. And actually, he had a really good game last week against the Falcons, did not give up a pressure in a pile of work there in that start for Harrison. So Robinson coming back means that Little – likely kicks back into left guard, which should help the interior of this offensive line, which has struggled at times in the first four games of the season for Jacksonville. Luke Fortner likely stays at center, and you have Brandon Sheriff at right guard. So that's really a much better offensive line setup, and you have true starters there. And on the other side was Smoot out, who was leading the Jags with five sacks before he suffered that Achilles injury last season that ended his year. They got Trayvon Walker playing on the edge. There are people that think he would probably be better on the inside if Smoot came back. And they've really not generated any pass rush from those three down linemen in their 3-4 set. So I think Smoot could help on a couple of fronts there. All right, let's flip it to the offensive side. Calvin Ridley does not have a ton of receptions, but he does have a ton of yardage. Uh, on the 15 that he has on the season. How has that blend gone after his suspension year in 2022 and then coming over to the Jags? It's been interesting. It was off to a hot start. Seven catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown in the first half against the Colts in week one. And then after that, it's kind of cooled off, except for that 
wide open touchdown last week against the Falcons that he caught from Trevor Lawrence. His target share has gone down week after week. And I think kind of what's happening here is they're figuring out how to work Ridley into this offense that had Christian Kirk, who was very good for this team last year and has a great rapport with Trevor Lawrence. And of course, Zay Jones, yes, he's been on the lineup the last couple of games, but I think this offense is potentially at its best when he's healthy. He's a guy that really has the trust of Lawrence. So I think it's a work in progress here with Ridley coming into this offense. Add on top of that, the fact that Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, is calling the plays for full games now. That wasn't the case last season. And I think it's taken a little bit more time than people expected, despite that hot start in the first 30 minutes of Ridley's season. What do you think this offense, uh, I mean, what are they, how have they changed from last year? They were a playoff team last year. They, you know, what are their, where are they evolving to with these new guys in? What is the, what is the best case scenario for this Jaguar offense? I think best case scenario is being one of the top offenses in the league. We haven't seen it through the first four weeks, so it kind of seems absurd to say. But when you talk about the playmakers on this team, Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk on the outside, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, who's an explosive athletic tight end, Travis Etienne, Tank Bigsby, they were really high on, of course, their rookie running back who's backing up Etienne. And you have Trevor Lawrence, who is the second-rated quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, he's just had receivers drop balls at untimely times this season. So there's a lot of upside there, but it's fun to talk about that upside. You actually have to realize it at some point for this team. So I think there has been a number of things that have held this team back. Third-down conversion rate has to go up. They're 29th of 32 teams at the low end on that third down conversion rate percentage. So they got to be much better there. And there's been a bunch of drops and also untimely penalties that have held this offense back. But I think it could be one of the upper tier ones in the NFL if they get into a rhythm. Last one I've got for you concerns uh, how they've played defense. And maybe this is a byproduct of the lack of pass rush that you noted already, but heavy, heavy zone team. I mean, they're looking at, just from the numbers in front of me, 82% of the time they're sitting in zone defense. Is that a byproduct of the lack of that pass rush, just trying to keep everything in front of them, or is there another reason? I think that's really been the main part of it. Yes, Josh Allen has been after been able to get after the quarterback, the edge rusher version of Josh Allen, of course, not the Bills quarterback. He's got a league-leading six sacks, but they've really played a lot of base defense and tried to keep everything in front of them and not give up some big plays. The Jags would really like to get Antonio Johnson back at safety because Rayshon Jenkins has kind of been hit or miss. Tyshawn Campbell is a young up-and-comer, big test in front of him this week with Stephon Diggs. So I think if you see Johnson get back into the lineup and potentially smooth, although I think it's a long shot, that could change some things and allow them to mix up some coverage and not sit in zone because Josh Allen's just going to pick that apart. Justin, thanks so much for spending some time with us. We appreciate your insight and look forward to the game on Sunday. Thanks for having me, fellas. Hey, Bills fans, get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Just download the app today to play any way you want. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings fast. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the Buffalo Bills. We move to the numbers game, where Steve will be quizzed on Bills cornerback history. And, you know, it's a little bit of who am I, shall we say, as we're asking you for specific players here, Steve. So question number one. Since 2017, which Bills player 
has the most interceptions for Buffalo. The Sean McDermott era. Jordan Poyer. And you would be 100% correct, Stephen A. Tasker, with 22. Micah Hyde second with 16. Question number two. Since 2017, which Bills player has the most pass breakups? Matt Milano. It is not Matt Milano. I'll say... Davis missing Micah Hyde. No, the answer is Tredavious White. You're on the right track, Steve. Despite missing 12 games last year, 68 pass breakups since 2017. Sorry, Trey. Question three. Since 2017, which Bills player has the most interception return touchdowns? That's got to be Milano. You are correct, Steve. Very well done. Matt Milano with two. The last one coming in week two last year against the Titans. Yeah, that's when that's when Jordan Phillips was chasing him. Pop, popped a hamstring. He, he, like he got sniped oh out of the upper gosh. deck. That was rough. <laughs> that was rough. Final question, Steve. Come on, chance to go here three go. for four here. What Bills defender from your playing career era has the most interceptions from 1985 to 1997. We, we took your 13-year playing career and said, okay, seriously, which Bills defender from your era has the most interceptions for Buffalo? I'm going to say... Mark Kelso. You got it, Steve! Way to go! Oh, that's a strong answer. That's a strong answer. Yes. Mark Kelso. 30 interceptions in 99 games played. Well done, Steve. Thank you. Thank you very much. You were on fire this week. That was great. Thank you. I kind of feel like I almost made him too easy. Thank you very much. That was that was a great performance. Three out of four there. And you were on the right track with the one you got wrong. I know. And then you second guessed yourself. I did. Time for our high-low picks of the week. High-low is the free-to-play game at FanDuel.com for a chance at $10,000 in total prizes. Pick the highest and lowest-performing players and teams across various stat categories. The closer you are to the actual results, the more points you get, and more points means a chance at a bigger prize. I'll kick us off this week, and as hard as it might be, I am going to take the Miami Dolphins this week for highest passing yards Tua is facing a Giants defense that is struggling to keep opponents out of the end zone. 30th in points allowed, and it's due in part to their offense, not being able to stay on the field. But knowing Wink Martindale likes to blitz a lot, that's a recipe for disaster against Tua. So Miami high for passing yards. Yeah, the Giants defense is (laughs) struggling. All right, Steve, it's my turn. I'm going to roll with the Carolina Panthers against the Detroit line. Detroit's a respectable 11th against the pass. Aiden Hutchinson is tearing it up off the edge for the Lions on their pass rush. And uh, Bryce Young, I think, is going to struggle against this this, uh, Detroit defense. So the Carolina Panthers are going to go low for passing yards. All right, I'm taking the hot hand here. After a big night against the Jets, Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. is my guy this week against the Minnesota Vikings. Vikes are 15th against the run. I think they're going to be too focused on Mahomes, which should allow 
Pacheco to bust off some long runs, so Pacheco high for rushing yards. Yeah, and I think I like that because you get these out of conference games. The Vikings don't yeah. see the Chiefs very exactly. often. The Bills know it. they're gonna. The Chiefs are gonna chew those guys up. <laughs> All right, here we go, Steve. Low for rushing yards. I'm gonna take unknown Jaleel McGoughlin from the Broncos. Javante Williams isn't expected to play. I think it's gonna be a tough game for McGoughlin to be productive against a stout New York Jet run front. The Jets are going to or playing against the Broncos. Uh, and they've got a backup running back to do it. So take the backup as yeah, low for rushing that's yards. That's a good pick there. How do you go against Puka Nakua right? when we're talking about the high for receiving yards? The rookie phenom in L.A. with the Rams. They're playing the Eagles, but Philly is a surprising, Steve, 27th against the pass. Granted, a lot of their opponents are behind, so they have to throw, but that's exactly why I like Nakua in this one, to get a lot of volume throughout the game. So Nakua... High for receiving yards. All right, and finally, low for receiving yards. I'm going to keep the theme going here. Jerry Judy of the Broncos. I don't see that offense is going to do much against a Jets front. That's simply more talented. So Jerry Judy for low in receiving yards for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, right in that Broncos-Jets game. Yeah, I get it. Jet, the Jet defense is for real. Yeah, it is. Our closing figure deals with Buffalo's defense. They are currently tied for the league lead in sacks. They lead the league in interceptions, and they are second in the league in opponent passer rating, with a rating of 66.4, only Dallas has allowed a lower passer rating, and their first four games were deemed to be the second easiest schedule in the league. That'll do it for this edition. Subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when our next episode is out, or you could watch us on the Bills YouTube channel. So remember... When you need to know about the bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody!